Welcome back. Everyone gets a trophy podcast. I'm Paul Wobbington. That guy who hasn't spoken yet is Kevin Dunn, or as I like to lovingly refer to him, number two. That's how he's referred to our call sheet. Right, Kevin? Uh, I haven't looked at the call sheet ever, so I, I, I really wouldn't know. Uh, I always thought you were talent, too. I, did, I, I didn't realize we had set those uh, those roles up, but whatever. It's all good. I enjoy doing it. I, talent one, talent two, talent three. We got plenty of talent to talk about today. Well, I, I am talent, comma, two, T-O-O. <laughs> yes, you so are. So technically, you're correct. Yes, technically, Technically, I am correct, man. Uh, went to go see Rogan and Chappelle last night at Stubbs for a little nostalgia. Awesome. Yeah, it was cool. It was Trey's birthday, and so we went, and a uh, big group of us, and had to get tested before they put you, like, in this pen, and Stubbs did a good job. It was very orderly, and everything was all very organized and got tested, and the group was good, so... It was pretty cold last night, but we were all geared up, and, and you can tell people are just ready to get back to some sense of normalcy, and for a lot of people going out and seeing a good you know comedy show or maybe getting something, getting something to eat, um, not that we took it for granted before, but God, it's so nice to have it back and to be able to do it again. No question, and two of my favorite comedians. I love Rogan. I love Chappelle, and uh, they're uh, two guys that I appreciate because they're, they're funny. But they, they have a message, or the, like the, sometimes they have a message. Sometimes they're just silly, right? And, and I like that uh, about them both. And uh, they're guys that are, you know, they're not always going to toe the party line. And I appreciate that about them. That's the true comedic sort of attitude. Yeah, it is. And I'll, I'll give them all credit last night. I mean, there, there's, as someone who likes to rip on both teams and think that, thinks that both teams and just the fact that I have to call them teams is the issue uh they, they kind of ripped on everyone there's been a lot of hypocrisy from both sides the last four years six months a week you you name it so it was good stuff I appreciated it thought about you yeah you definitely would have enjoyed it and <clears throat> Chappelle is awesome I've seen him a ton I haven't seen Rogan a bunch but I like his podcast and and yeah I mean that's essentially why I like them is that I don't think they're necessarily trying to protect a brand or or a team so I know someone who's uh, associated with a great venue here in San Francisco called the Chapel, and Chappelle used to like to go to the Chapel to work out, uh, and by that I mean workout material, mm-hmm. and he would basically get on the stage unannounced. He wouldn't allow anyone to, to know that he was going to be there, and he would just get up and try out comedy for three hours, and basically right on stage, and he would just sit and talk, and people said sometimes it would get uncomfortable because he wouldn't have anything for about 10 minutes. And then he'd seize on something, or he'd see a reaction from someone in the audience, and he'd start talking to that person. And they said it was just organic and absolutely hilarious. But it was neat because they said they then saw him do his specials, which were on Netflix, about a year later. Mm-hmm. And a good bit of what he had been working out and sort of trying to work through at the chapel showed up polished at that special and yeah. killed. So he got to see basically, in my opinion, a comedic genius work through his process. Yeah. I've, I've been lucky enough to do the same thing with the same guy. I lived across from comedy cellar and a girl I was dating Nikita was a bar manager at comedy cellar. And she called me, was getting off of work. She's like, you got to get home and get over here right away. I've got a spot saved for you. And Dave was just going to pop in. He popped in and did two and a half hours, and it was hilarious. I mean, there was an interaction with Chris Rock's little brother who was supposed to go on that night, and he got all pissed off and was like, no, man, you just do your thing. And they're like in front of the whole audience going back and forth. It was, it was special. But then, yeah, this was right – This is when he had disappeared. So he had been gone from the Comedy Central show. And it's like, where's Dave? You know, has Dave gone crazy? And so he was just starting to get back into it a little bit. And then I remember watching a special a year later and thinking, oh, my God, he was really working on that. And he was able to take that. And you're right. I mean, you see the comedic genius and kind of how the process works out. I, I consider myself really lucky. I've been to a lot of cool shows, none like Dave Chappelle smoking three packs of cigarettes on the comedy cellar stage and at, to- <laughs> at, at times having nothing. It, it was, it was priceless. Well, you know, you're allowed to smoke on a stage. Do you know why? Why? It's a form of artistic expression. Wow. Okay. All right. So all these cities with draconian smoking laws 
uh, you are, as a comedian, as long as you're on stage, you're allowed to smoke because it's a part of your act. It's a part of your artistic expression. Interesting. I didn't know that. Dude. You're, you're always uh, always got some good little nuggets. That's a good one right there. And so, yeah, he was. I've, I've, I've tried I've tried that in the grocery store when I don't want to wear clothes. And I like <laughs> I want to go pick up some milk or something. I'd say it's part of my artistic expression, but I, they still call the cops every time. <laughs> now, you could still smoke in the grocery store when we were kids, right? You could smoke in planes, Kevin. Oh, I remember that. I remember planes, and I used to always laugh. You get to seat 16, and they're like, now this is non-smoking. I got news yeah, for y'all. Yeah, there was no glass yeah. panel participant. Yes. They just suddenly decided <laughs> smoke no longer could travel uh, through the enclosed tube flying through the air. This, and, uh, this whole plane is smoking. I got news for you. Uh, but, yeah, but I, I, <laughs> I, I, I want to say I remember my grandma having a cigarette like in, in Tom Thumb or, or H-E-B back in the day. Yeah, you could do that. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I was smoking in nursery school. I remember that distinctly. <laughs> anyway, it was good to yeah. go. Good to go see those guys. Had a good time. And I'm ready for things to get back to normal, my man. We're not there yet, but but it was nice to have that. Yeah, it, it'll come in time. And uh, I tell you what, Joe Rogan's famously moved to Austin. Everyone in their grandmother seems to be moving to Austin. It's, it's the place to be. If you, if you weren't aware, Kevin, and you know, Austin, as you and I laugh, because it's been the place to be and the place to move since, what, 1990, right? Yeah, it been, seems like that. Yeah, and, and by the way, the growth of the city reflects that, but if you're moving to Austin or if you just want to move up in the financial world and pay less for your current house and your current mortgage, you need to call our pal Gabe Winslow and his amazing mortgage team. You guys know about Gabe. You know about his relationship with Everyone Gets a Trophy. And you know about how he's helped so many of our listeners either lower their monthly house payment or get them in a new house and get them in a phenomenal sizzling deal. Here's the deal. And every time I say it, I sound like a lunatic, but it's absolutely the case. If you have a 30-year note and you're at three and a quarter or higher, you need to give Gabe a call at 832-557-1095. That's 832-557-1095. Tell him that we sent you. He's going to give you $500 off a of closing. And what he's going to do is basically walk through your finances. And he's going to talk to you about what you want to put down, what you want to do. And he's going to see if actually you can save yourself a big chunk of money refinancing something as low as a 375 and a 30, which traditionally is an amazing rate. You should laugh all the way to the bank. Gabe says you can laugh all the way to the bank even more and even lower. We can do better, Kevin. So give Gabe a call, 357-1095. He saved our listeners now $2 million in house payments this year, and he's phenomenal at what he does. Do yourself a favor. Give him a call. Just like Rogan and Chappelle, he's a genius at what he does. And you know what, Kevin? We just hired a guy who a lot of people think is a genius at what he does, and that's calling plays and designing offense. No no doubt about it. Can you hear me, buddy? Oh, sorry about that. I can hear you, pal. Yeah. That, that was to you. Yeah, I know. We had a – I know it was. And we have this speaker that's just going off in here. And so I was trying to silence that as – you were giving Gabe a much-needed shout-out. I think I have it fixed in here because I'm so good at this technical stuff, as you know. Can I ask a clarifying question? Yeah. Is this speaker a man standing on a soapbox? <laughs> it is not. It is not. Is it a loudspeaker? What, what kind of speaker is this? Uh, it's just your traditional speaker and but I there was no volume in front of it so I'm like how do I turn this thing down so I think I got it down here but we're also we got Texas pregame is airing I want to make sure that I don't disrupt anything like I did months ago whenever I turned <laughs> off multiple radio stations so I'm trying to juggle that and also listen to you I apologize for that I think we have all that fixed man lots of optimism though you know we've talked about it it's so easy to sell yourself it's easy to sell yourself on something like like Gabe, the deal he has. Definitely go check that out. But it's also easy to sell on your new coaching staff. And it's human nature. And uh, fan bases can be different in, in many ways. Some fan bases burn couches when they're mad. Some burn them when they're happy. Some don't burn them at all. But almost all fan bases, you can talk yourself into uh, a coaching hire and especially the staff that comes with it. We've had fun with strength and conditioning coaches, how they – revolutionize and rewrite everything in the strength world but I think it's you know it's important to try and and look at it and and be objective also knowing that look diff different staffs 
meld together differently. And so Sark's biggest job right now is to put that staff together. One thing I did like from his press conference is that he said he's not going to rush that, that he's not going to that they will sacrifice some small things to make sure they get the staff right. That would be learning from what Tom Herman didn't do to start off. Yeah, I think that's 100% correct. And I think one favor we've been given is that Sark doesn't have a wholesale staff that he could just transport over, as Herman did at Houston. And that is a blessing. I mean, that is an absolute blessing. And I understand it's, it's creating some insecurity among Longhorn fans of who are we going to hire and all that stuff. I would rather he take time to measure twice and cut once than to, to stumble into it. Or, as Herman did, pretend that he had the best staff in America coaching at the University of Houston, which we found out he did not. So right. I think that's a great point. There was a lot of good stuff from that press conference. I'm in the honeymoon phase, Kevin. I'm in love with Steve Sarkeesian. I, I tried to resist it. Um, <laughs> So it's not just that we have a new coach. It's He said three or four things specifically that were kind of unprompted. They weren't prompted by a question. He just said things that were like he that demonstrated to me he got it at some level. So you're, t- you're, was, you're was, talking was, about the Texas A&M question then, right? Yeah, well, the Texas A&M <laughs> question, you've got to answer that you want to play them anytime, anywhere, right? That's what you always say publicly. And I think that may be the case for Sarkeesian as well. But – uh, yeah, there's only one way to answer that question. Imagine if a coach was like, uh, yeah, I don't know. If we lost that game, that wouldn't be very good for recruiting. So yeah. I'm going to say no. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of 50-50 on it. I, I, I kid around with that. It's a tired question to me, and you're asking someone that doesn't, that, that doesn't really make that decision. So there were some good questions in there, and there definitely were some good answers. And like you said, some were unprompted. What really stood out to you, Paul? Three things, and I wrote about this on Inside Texas. If you guys have not joined Inside Texas, uh, I don't know what's wrong with you. You're, you're fools. You don't like great Longhorn content. You're listening <laughs> to this. That demonstrates you obviously like good Longhorn content. So you need to listen to Kevin, Kevin's radio show on 104.9 between 4 and 7 with Rod Babers and Brad Kellner, and you need to read Inside Texas. And you, and you listen to this podcast in addition, you'll be set. Yeah. So, and check, uh, check, check, out, check, check out the show from 3 to 7, too. Oh, <laughs> what do you well, try? You just don't want to listen to the first hour. I, I don't listen to the first hour. I feel like you're a slow starter. I, <laughs> I, I meant to talk about this off air. I didn't want to embarrass you, but I feel like you're a guy who needs to get in his groove. Uh, I feel like you're the coach who kind of feels people out in the first quarter and then you really like hit it home in the second quarter on. So sorry about that, Kevin. Yeah. As evidenced by my performance in the one hour I do here, I'm just getting going once we get to the end there. No, man. uh, You're you're kicking so much ass by the end of this podcast when I hang up on you. And then every week I pray that you could bottle it for the next week, but no, we start over from scratch. Well, you're you're not kidding around. People should definitely check out inside Texas. You guys do great work. So what are some of the things, what are those three things? Well, first our goal, and this is just a direct quote. Our goal is to out coach and out prepare our opponent every week. Now that sounds stupid. Oh yeah. Of course your coach is going to say, that's a breath of fresh air, given what we've just experienced. I, well, I was going to say with Tom Herman, also applies to Charlie Strong. And frankly, I think the end of the Mac Brown era. Uh, Sarkeesian is going to go in there, and even if he's got a talent advantage, he's going to look for a schematic and personnel advantage against that opponent that week. And he's going to prepare for it. He's going to put in some stuff, Kevin. Oh. You're right. It is so simple, and every coach maybe has a version of that that they say, but it was needed. And I don't know if if he knew it was needed, and that's why he said it, but I truly believe that's how he looks at it, and it's where he comes from. It's the It really is those Norm Chow-type things. I mean, we saw Chow do that forever. It's about trying to get a schematic advantage. And what we saw with Devontae Smith, too, I understand Smith, Smith is a all-time great. I mean, he, he is a good luck catching him. But the different creative ways that that we talked a lot about the motion that they use, but getting him lost in the backfield, I, I thought the the flat concept they threw for the touchdown to go up 14-7 really speaks to how Sarkeesian can take maybe only one guy because Jalen Waddle was a decoy out there. He's a shell of himself. I'm surprised he even went out there. Mechie's a good player. They got some good receivers, obviously. But Ohio State knew who they had to cover. And he was getting lost, and, and and they were able to really get him the football. They played at every blade of grass. 
I'm I'm excited about how he's going to try and out scheme and utilize his talent. Absolutely, and the beauty of it, and look, this is a legitimate criticism of Sark in the past. He got a little too schemy sometimes at the University of Washington, and then again in Atlanta. If you followed the NFL, and I followed Sarkeesian in the NFL because I was mostly interested in seeing how Atlanta would deal with losing Kyle Shanahan. And I think if you could make a valid criticism of him as a, a designer, a play caller, a, a, an offensive creator, is that he could get a little too schemy. And sometimes you can't fit in all the stuff you want to do in a, a week of work with, your, with the team and execute well. What you saw from Alabama is not just the incredible diversity and the amazing concepts and the seamlessness of, of what they did, which you, you astutely pointed out, they executed it great. They, they didn't have motion penalties. They didn't have, like, choppy play. They didn't have, like, oh, where the, the, the quarterback's pointing at the receiver and the receiver's pointing at the quarterback. And I thought you were supposed to go, oh, oh, yeah, oh, that's right. You're supposed to. And it's, there was none of that. They, I mean, they, they were on the same page. It looked awesome. And so I think there's a lot of credibility to Sark's statement that he's going to out-scheme and out-coach his opponents. And I think he found that magic middle at Alabama between letting them play, but also putting in little schemes to free a guy up in space, to, to find things by formation. And by the way, as great as Sark was, he took Ohio State's poor defensive coordinator to school. Yeah. Yeah, that because that was rough with the linebackers out there. Oh, I mean, Kevin, he Sark repeatedly lured him into personnel traps. Like, oh, look, I've got run game personnel in. You better put in a run front. And then, of course, it was a pass. And of course, they had a wide receiver lined up in the backfield. Or he had, I mean, it was all smoke and mirrors. And the the Ohio State defensive coordinator is running a, a freaking four four out there, de facto at least. And and you know, look, if you get I understand Devontae Smith. Everything you said about him is right. Uh, he's got that body of a Deshaun Jackson or an Allen Iverson, mm-hmm. which is he's just like, what is he, a 2% body fat guy, right? And he's light and he's skinny, but he's still somehow durable. Yeah. And he's long. He's longer than he looks. I know he's 6'1", but he's got long arms. Like, he, he's just – and he's so freaking quick. Yeah, he's fast, but he is quick. And all that said, 12 catches for 215 yards and a half. In one half. His play strength is, it, re- is really good, too. Day mentioned that after the game. And, and I like the comparison with Jackson and especially Iverson. They're a lot stronger than their weight or body would tell you. That is exactly right. And they're just more durable. And by the way, uh, I think I mean, Deshaun Jackson is a very good NFL receiver. I think uh, Devontae's a better player because he's more diverse in what he can do. That said, if you're calling a defense in which your linebacker is asked to carry Devontae Smith up the seam when he's in the slot, Mm. you're you're wrong. Yeah. No, Boone Powell could do it in 90 against Houston, but that's the the only time the – the brother knew that Boone Powell could go stride for stride with one Manny Hazard. But, no, I mean, it's just – even Texas got away with it that night. But that it's just it's just bad football, Paul. It is. It's bad football. And it's just losing – at the, before the snap of the ball, you've already lost. Right. right? It's yeah. a win. You're not putting your guys in, a, in an opportunity it, to succeed. The second thing he said that really hit home with me in a big way, this isn't a destination day for me. Yeah. Now, I think that could be taken a couple different ways that this is not this is this not the destination job or is it? No, it's not destination day in terms of we're just getting started. And and this is, you know, there's obviously a lot of work to be put in because he mentioned that a lot. I'm glad he did. So you took that obviously as a positive. He meant that he meant the latter. Yeah, he he meant it. He didn't mean. You know, he wasn't going to say, you know, my real dream job well, is the New York Giants. I, I I know, but sometimes, I mean, I, I do think that he's probably one of those coaches. Like, if he's gone in four or five years and this was not his, his dream ultimate job and he just wants to move up and go pro or whatever, um, understand that. Tell you what, if we can get a little Miami Hurricanes coaching head coaching action where they spend <laughs> their four or five years here, you win a national title or two and they go on their way, I'm right. down. I'm down for that, too, if we can, yeah, replace them like, like they did. But no, I, th- I think what he was referring to was the, the all gas, no breaks mentality, yep. which is 
look, man, I haven't arrived. I, I this isn't the big contract. This isn't the big the big job. Now I can rest on my laurels and whatever happens happens. I think what he wants to do is go win a national title. I think that's what he thinks is the destination. And I think that's part of his own drive. I think he learned some of that from Carroll and certainly a lot of that from Saban. And what an interesting duality of mentors to have. You know, Carroll, I think, is a great guy to have as your mentor as a young coach. And I think Saban is a great guy to have as, as the mid, in the midlife of your coaching career. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that, and so I think he got lucky with that, and he talked about taking stuff from from both those guys, but getting back to what you said about not arriving yet, that did seem to be a problem with Tom Herman, and it happened a couple different times where, you know, maybe when he got the job, there was hubris there, and he thought, I'm just going to be able to bring my Houston staff, and we're going to be able to out-scheme people in the Big 12, and then also when they won the Sugar Bowl, uh, I think he probably took his foot off the gas and thought, this is going to be a little bit easier than, than he thought. I think that's right. And I think, look, I, I think that if you're in this for the big contract and the trappings and the prestige and the pretensions and all the things can come with the University of Texas head coach, you're going to be trapped by it. But if you actually view that stuff as like, oh, great, now we're financially secure. I can focus on my coaching. Mm-hmm then that's a very different mentality and how you act, how you conduct yourself. Because I think that sort of self-satisfaction permeates the building and it's poison and you can refuse the poison. You don't have to accept it. You can take that big contract by all means, but you don't have to let it sort of define you or let you sit in your big easy chair and take a big sigh and kick your legs up. I think if anything, you should say, all right, now I'm going to go earn that money. I'm going to show people what I'm about. They haven't seen anything yet. I'm not done. And I think Sark conveyed that. Um, and he had, he had another thing that stood out to me. And this is, the, this is the warning section of the podcast. And we don't have to get into po- the politics of this at all. But he said, Eyes of Texas is our school song. And we're going to sing it proudly. Mm-hmm. Is that, was that taken from orders from above? Nope. I think – the people from above realized how poorly this had been bungled um, by Tom Herman. And I think it was a – look, it, I think the Eyes of Texas issue is a leadership issue disguised as a social issue. Hmm. Explain. I, I think it's a, it was created at the University of Texas. Obviously, there was a larger – current going on in society but you could also argue that was a deficit of leadership but i think tom herman thought that pandering to his players was the same as building a deep communication and relationship with his players and trust and the fact is and you look at it from the transfer portal i mean you and i've joked about it the way that tom herman knows the guy's unhappy the only way they they tom herman apparently knows is when a guy enters in the portal and then tom calls them and they have a four-hour chat right yeah. I, I don't think he had a good relationship with his team. I don't think he had a real relationship. I don't think they saw him as a genuine guy. And I think a lot of it was surface. And I think there's some things that were allowed to fester. And I think you also have a group of people both within and without the program who saw this as an opportunity. And they certainly don't have the, the best interest of the program at heart. And so – I think that was a leadership void, and I think nature abhors a vacuum, and I think uh, Tom Herman had a massive vacuum of leadership in that program, and I think his instinct to pander on the issue was exactly the wrong issue. doesn't mean you don't hear people out. doesn't mean you don't engage in a conversation, but you can only engage in a meaningful conversation on this sort of issue that could be that sensitive unless you have a pre-existing real relationship and they at least know where your heart is and what you're about. And then someone will listen to your different perspective and, and give it some credence. I think that's really, so well, I think yeah. ultimately the whole issue was a leadership vacuum. And I think some people broke through that a vacuum and, and were excited to feel like they were wielding the power. And I think it was just an example of, of, of mismanagement. 
Well said, my man. And there's a lot to that. So, yeah, he'll come in, and hopefully that won't be an issue. I mean, there's already enough stuff going on that he's going to have to figure out. Let's get into some of those things that he's going to have to figure out. What do you suspect is going to be something that's going to come across his desk or going to be something that he's going to have to deal with with the job that maybe is going to be something that's not going to test him but is going to is going to put him on the spot early on to see how he's moving forward? It'll be staff hires. And I can tell you one thing that you and I nailed before this press conference. Remember we were laughing about how no coach ever gets up there when they ask about the defense. He says, ah, you know, I kind of want to play read and react. And, uh, oh, never. You know, we'll give up a bunch of yards, but I think we'll really buckle down on the red zone. I'm a passive zone type of guy. I love to give up <laughs> chunks. I mean, I give it away for free between the 20s. And then we get down to the 20s, and I kind of dial it up a little bit. But even then, we're bending, but we don't ever, never break. I want to win games yeah, 38-32. What I'm going to count on is the other team making a mistake. I think we're just going to try to keep <laughs> the ball in front of us and tackle. And, uh, you know, really most teams don't execute very well on like a 12-play drive. So I think we should get a penalty or a turnover. Surely they'll stop themselves. Yeah. No, there's got to be some mistakes in there for them. We're not going to necessarily create those. But, yeah, he wants, a, he wants a very aggressive defense. How worried are you still? I mean, I, I'm guessing not because what you said earlier, uh, still no defensive coordinator. It does feel like some of the position groups are being, are being hired, or at least there's reports that there's guys they're kind of leaning toward without a D.C. It doesn't mean he doesn't have a real D.C. in mind. Does that worry you at all? We've seen this happen before. Obviously, traditionally, you hire a D.C. and then you, they have more of an input of position coaches they hire. Yeah, I mean, typically the D.C. would want to have some input, usually not across the board, but in some position groups. And a lot of that has to do with their gravitas, right, their, their background, their power. I mean, look, if, if Will Muschamp had said yes, I suspect Will Muschamp would have hired most of the defensive staff and Sark would have been cool with it. Yeah, Coleman Hutzler would still be on staff, right? Coleman Hutzler would remain on staff. Uh, and, you know, hey, that's still a possibility. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, I, I just think that the thing that will come across his desk early will be these hires, and I think they'll be put under some scrutiny. I think people tend to give grace early on during this honeymoon period, and, you know, they'll say, well, we'll see. And he did make a decision to retain Andre Coleman as the wide receivers coach, which was – I think a surprise for most people. Uh, yeah. I think most people have a pretty high regard for Andre as a, as a teacher, as a technician. He's a no-nonsense guy. He is, he is not a diva mentality. That is, that is a K-State guy, right? He, he, uh, he made his bones at K-State and made his, his bones as a, as a blue-collar guy. And he, I don't think he has a lot of tolerance for divas. That's a position that tends to attract a fair amount of divas. And so the question was, can Andre Coleman get it done on the recruiting trail? And the thought was, and I think not without basis, that he was struggling there. Now, that was cut off by COVID. He didn't have the opportunity to build relationships. But, you know, that's sort of the sense that, that people had. That said, obviously Sark knew the guy. He did apparently have some pre-existing relationship or at least some sense of the guy. And, and I think he liked his teaching and his acumen. And, you know, I think Sark, I think part of his recruiting on offense is going to be not just individual staff members going out and getting guys, right? But I think it's going to be about, I'm selling the Steve Sarkeesian experience. Do you want to be a part of this or not? Yeah, I wasn't real fired up about hearing that Coleman's going to be back. Um, maybe he is a, a good uh, good coach with technique and a good technical coach, but we didn't see it this year. Now, granted, there wasn't a spring, but these guys can't get off press coverage. Uh, there's no scramble drill in place. I don't know if they practice that. You can certainly blame that on Herman or the OC, but I, I didn't see anything where I thought this is definitely a guy I want to keep. Yeah, I, I hear that. I respect that take. I would say Steve Sarkeesian has a Gordian knot solution to press coverage, which is, oh, your guys aren't good, in, good at getting off press coverage. I'll scheme them out of press coverage. Okay. I mean, I think that's his solution. It's not, let's get better at press coverage. Uh, if, if a guy's not going to break press coverage and you don't have the spring to work on it or whatever else, I think Steve, Steve's perspective is, well, then let's not let them put this guy in press coverage. Okay. Um, you know, 
Ohio State wanted to man up and probably beat up Devontae Smith, they never got the opportunity. No, they couldn't get their hands on him. They couldn't find him. I mean, I, I love you got five Great Danes and you got a squirrel in the backfield and you're trying to chase him in man. I mean, t- seven banks really got uh, put out in no man's land as he was trying to chase him and then couldn't see him. And, he, you know, he ends up just running a little flat route. They do a great job with that stuff. But, yeah, I mean, and that's also where I'm going to be open-minded about all this stuff. And, and I, I just don't know how good of a coach Coleman is. The one year we saw, he was an analyst in 2019, but the one year we saw last year, uh, there was no spring. So there's a lots of things that could go into that. Our receivers did not look well coached, though. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just think that sometimes when the program as a whole is – is on the wrong track. Sometimes it can be hard to grade individual position coaches accurately, um, particularly one that's reliant on a larger system and execution because man, um, you know, Sam Ellinger, you could make the same sort of criticisms, right? Yeah. Was he not well coached or are these things that are intrinsic to Sam where he's just deficient in certain areas and, you know, maybe a little bit, bit of both, but man, I have a sense that, some of these guys are better football players than we think. And, and the proof that I have in that pudding is the offensive line play near the end of the year. When, when they really freed these guys up by scheme and actually introduced some candy in the backfield and some deception and some constraints and, and actually put in rules that favored them and they made the change at center, all the things you and I have talked about and documented – Boy, that looked like a different offensive line. They didn't look shitty anymore, did they, Kevin? No, they didn't. And look, that, that was that was the final straw for me with this coaching staff. I I had suspicions and evidence that accrued over over a couple years, but that I was I just I didn't trust their talent evaluation. And if you're at that spot, then then you're probably screwed. But we saw that with Majors and Carrick and some of the guys that were able to come in and play. And it made the team made the team look different. So this dropped right before we started this. That it, it looks like it's pretty official now that Kyle Flood is going to be coming to Austin. Will be the offensive line coach. That looks like a great hire. Yep, that's good news. I think that's a good deal. And uh, you know, I've heard good things about him. Obviously, we have to see when he gets here because. We've had other staff members who we've heard good things about, and then when we got to examine the product in Austin without whatever was supporting them somewhere else, we realized that maybe they weren't quite what they'd been sold as. But, yeah, I'm pretty optimistic, and the reason I'm optimistic is because Nick Saban, when he loses a coach, he typically shrugs, and he's like, you're replaceable. You're a commodity. This is Alabama is about Nick Saban, right? It's about right. the process, and he's the guy that's make, he's the guy lifting the tide. And, but when he loses a guy like Flood and you hear from Alabama insiders that Saban's a little pissed off or perturbed, that's always a good sign. That makes me happy. Yeah, no, it does. You're right about that. You want him to be kind of pissed off and upset. And I think he is probably with both Sark and with Kyle Flood. Uh, so could you maybe have two receivers, Coach? Do you still bring in Holman Wiggins? We've seen a lot of teams. I know Oklahoma does it. You have an inside and an outside receivers, Coach. Yeah, you could do that. Now, the difference is Tom Herman did that, but he did it as a way to create job preservation for two of his weakest staff members, right? Yeah. If you do it and you're actually getting a great technical coach and then pairing it with you know, potentially a great recruiter, well, I can, I can live with that. I can deal with that. I don't think it's optimal. I don't, I don't think it's the best way to deploy your resources, but what you're ultimately trying to do is balance the on-field coaching and the technical development with recruiting, you know, going and getting the raw material. So if, if that's a balance that Sark thinks is going to help maximize, great. But generally speaking, I don't like that combination. I don't like inside-outside receivers coach. I want one guy in charge of that room, one voice. But that said, I don't like a head coach calling plays. But you know what? There's a bunch of head coaches that kick ass at calling plays and are still the good, a good head coach. Yeah. So, you know, my, my preferences don't dictate the world of football. No, nah, it's good to know that. Good to see that head shrinking a little bit there, Paul. Um, I mean, not totally. Not I totally, mean, right? Uh, I'm I'm actually a lot cooler with head coaches calling calling plays. And in fact, some some scenarios I I love it. Like if you got a Lincoln Riley, I mean, you're just going to cut that out. You never have to worry about if your if your team's going to have to replace an offensive mind who is really calling all the plays. I like the Bo Davis rumors. Uh, Bo Davis, would you keep Davis and Oscar Giles? No. Okay. 
there's one of them I would eliminate. I'll let you guess. Um, I'm going to say you get rid of Giles. <laughs> That's a good guess. Yeah. Well, you know what though, and people are going to hear that, and 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 I know you, so I knew who you were going to pick. But people would say, "Hey, look, they, you know, and it's not always the same guy. It's not always the position coach who's necessarily recruiting guys that get go to that position. But they've done a pretty good job there, and on at least with." awards and an honorable big 12 and a mini huge defensive player of the of the of the year in the conference a lot of people look at it and think oscar giles has a good resume both as a recruiter and as a technical coach and then there's some people that that think that that's not entirely true yeah look oscar giles is a great longhorn he played here he coached here he's a good dude so don't set me up with these questions, Kevin. <laughs> I, hey, hey, look, we're just trying to be real. Okay, so you would take Bo Davis. Uh, you're happy happy with Bo. He did have, did have some issues. He was really thrown under the bus at Alabama, so he had a show cause. Spent a little time in the league, was at UTSA, and uh, I think that would be, be a really good hire. What about with D.C.? So we've, we, we've heard Zach. Hold on, hold on. Go ahead. Are, are you still caught up on the show cause? No, 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 no. Well, I mean, I I can mention it, can I? Um, you can mention it, but okay. are you still hung up on it? Uh, not no, no. I'm I'm not overly hung up on it. Uh, it is something that you got to look and let's see exactly what the staff looks like once he once he finishes it out. But look, I know that stuff's going on, and and I'm not not naive to that. So just just be be careful. Uh, and then I guess with DC, I'm really curious because hearing that Chris Ash is still in there, but that Sark is more of a three-down guy and, as you mentioned, really wants to be aggressive. I'm not sure that that, that really fits Ash or what Ash is. It does fit Todd Orlando, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Probably uh, probably won't get a revisit of the Orlando experience. So, but uh, Give us your yeah, take on so D.C. I, I'm sorry? Give us your take on D.C. Well, you know, honestly, I think the three – down lineman versus four down lineman makes me laugh the way people debate it on online because it's, you know, oh, well, you know, that's the trend. You got to play three down linemen to be multiple. And then, of course, that fails because of how the guy actually coaches it, right, which is the more important thing. Yep. And then all the Texas fans are like, well, we need to run a four. We need to run a four man front. That's the only way you can get a pass rush and blah, blah, blah. Well, we ran a four man front this year. We didn't really have much of a pass rush. So. <laughs> You know, ultimately, it's, it's about how you execute it. And the truth is, football's moving towards multiple. You, you want to be able to go three or four. You do want to have a base. But, you know, look, the New England Patriots were as dedicated a three-man front defense as you could fathom, right? That was Bill Belichick, how he, he grew up under Parcells at the Giants and had the famous New York Giants linebacker core, right? And then at the Patriots, he... He built that 3-4 and, and did it the Patriot way, right, with the big outside linebackers who really set the edge, you know, and then the Willie McGinnis types, right? And then you know what? They went multiple yep. over time because he realized that that was the best way to defend, and there's some opponents you want to play more of a four-man look, and there's some you want to play more of a three, and in others it's more about down and distance and what you're trying to do. Ultimately, it's the quality of the coaching that determines it's not the number of defensive linemen in the front. I, I just – you know, I don't, I don't really argue it with respect to let's take this D.C. because he wants this many down linemen. I'm, I'm more interested in can a D.C. coach, can he instill fundamentals, can he teach the philosophies of defense, can he do all those sorts of things more than how many people he likes with his hand down. Can you give me those four linebackers? Uh, I can think of three of them right now for sure. Obviously, L.T., LT Carl yeah, Banks. Carl Banks, Pepper Johnson. Pepper Johnson. And then who else? Who are we missing? Gary Reasons was one of them. Gary Reasons was one of them. Good call there. Very good call, man. Leonard Marshall on the defensive line. That was a hell of a team. But, yeah, you're right. It's about being flexible, and I think that stuff can be can be overrated a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, that's obviously going to be a huge hire for him. Who, who the, who oh, the, God. Sorry, Kevin. Uh, we left out the second-best player on the Giants linebacking core. He was replaced later by Reasons, Harry Carson. Harry Carson. There it is. That's who I was thinking of. Well yeah, done, sir. captain of the Giants. Well done, sir. Good, good work there. I like that memory. But um, yeah, uh, I, this is a huge hire, obviously, for him. And it's Saban's biggest hire is always going to be the OC. Same thing for Kirby Smart. Sark, Sark's biggest hire 
the rest of his career is always going to be on defense and who that defensive guy is, especially if he can continues to run the offense the way he is. What are the names you hearing uh, that 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 you either like or don't like? Uh, everything, most of them I like. I wasn't fired up about Coleman. I may be wrong about that. Obviously, I'm hoping I am. And then uh, Terry Joseph, the defensive backs coach from Notre Dame. I don't know a lot about him. You'd be the guy to know more about him. I mean, my only memory of him was at A and M. Um, losing recruiting battles to Texas. Yeah, frankly. yeah, um, yeah, and uh, I don't think he's that good of a recruiter. Talking to the Notre Dame people, the the Notre Dame source that I have that I really, really trust. This guy knows football. He's a former coach. He covers them. He's really well connected, and he's really honest. And so, I talked with him, and he was like, "Look, I just got to be honest. You know, I'm I'm not that I'm not that sold on him. He doesn't he's doesn't think he's that good of a coach." You look at the Notre Dame safeties, and they ranked fifth and sixth, respectively. Uh, I believe that would be FBS when they had Jalen Elliott and Alohi Gilman. Gilman's that little guy who's a transfer from Navy who's just a hell of a ball player, really instinctive. And they did a good job with Elliott. So I was taking that as, hey, the two years he was there, did they did they progress and really develop? And my source said, no, not really. He said, actually, the safeties regressed in his second full season a lot. He's not very well respected by most of the most at the position. Honestly, he just wasn't a fit at Notre Dame. You look at Kyle Hamilton, who's the rangy safety they have right now, and Mike Elko was actually the lead recruiter on that before he left for Texas A&M. Notre Dame was in a really good spot whenever Joseph took over and took over that uh, recruitment. And getting back to kind of what you pointed out with recruiting, and that was more at Texas A&M, uh, Joseph got shut out. For recruiting in the 2020 class, Indy got a kid late in the 2021 class, but he blew the recruitment initially. LSU's dumpster fire season allowed them to get get him back in the mix. He's a solid recruiter, but not at a place like Indy. Interesting. Yeah. So I I, I trust him a lot. He really knows football. So I, I obviously can't can't give that hire a stamp of approval, but we'll, we'll see how it plays out. So based on your description, former coach, Notre Dame, this is Lou Holtz, isn't it? Yeah, it is Lou Holtz. I, I, talk, I talk with Lou Holtz and, and talk with him a lot. Actually, I talk with Lou and Charlie Weiss. I split it up. I, I, try, I, try and get as much, <laughs> I try and get as much good info as I can. You bring a decided schematic advantage to this podcast every week. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. So sorry to be the Kevin, bear- I just want to close this text message by saying if you fall in a puddle, check your pocket in case you caught a fish. <laughs> God, does he use use that one? He probably does. Uh, I've never heard Lou Holtz say that, but it's the kind of stuff he says. Yeah, it would be the type of stuff he says. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm not overly fired up about that just from – talking to a couple Notre Dame people, but specifically one guy who who covers it and, and would definitely know. His, his opinion is he's not that good of a coach. Hey, did you hear Saban's comments after the national title game, which was pretty amazing? I mean, a huge endorsement of Sarkeesian as an offensive mind and the, the, the Bama offense, which was awesome. Did you hear what he said about I don't. I don't think so, no. So Saban's usually a guy who does the sort of vanilla Bill Belichick thing, like, oh, what do you think? What allowed you to win this championship? And Saban's usually like, you know, the football team, everyone pulled together, whatever, right? I love when they always say, Paul, relationships. Relationships or is it more Najee Harris and like (laughs) in your talent? (laughs) Well, and when you're the head coach of Texas, you got to say the high school football coaches in the state of Texas are why we run this game, right? Um. So they asked Saban that question, and he said, our offense. He said, they, they completely are the reason we're a great football team. The defense was adequate. Uh, and then he said, you know, the way football's moved, you have to play dominating offense to win a title. Yeah. Uh, no, he, look, he, he is – the best thing about Saban is how he's evolved with football. And for – I mean, Nick Saban, the Nick Saban we knew at Michigan State or LSU – to even admit that you would have had a wellness check on him, you know, um, and the fact the fact that he's there and understands it and that he's been able to shift, I'm I'm hoping that's and Pete Carroll does that too. I'm hoping Sark has learned that learned that from both those guys. But Pete Golding, who's their DC, is also a guy I've seen seen mentioned, and he hasn't done. I have no idea. I don't know enough about Golding. He hasn't done anything that really blew me away. No, knowing the talent they have and their defenses have just been adequate. Yeah, I, they obviously were not a classic Alabama defense. I think the question is, outside of incredible dominant personnel, 
can can anyone really dominate on defense anymore now that the SEC has actually embraced the spread full on, right? And they have some real offensive minds there. The other part is, I mean, yeah, it's 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 a huge tribute to Nick Saban, the football coach, because the Nick Saban I knew at Michigan State, and then you mentioned LSU as well. If it was third and ten on the opponent's 31-yard line, yeah. he's running the ball to get five yards and, and get the field goal. Right, absolutely. I mean, he doesn't want to risk a turnover at third and 10, and, and he doesn't want to turn it over on their end of the field. So he's going to run the ball because he knows that they're in a pass defense. You're going to get your five or six yards, and now you've got a chip shot field goal. That was Nick Saban in, in the, the early 2000s. And now the guys – I mean, Alabama came – they came to chew bubble gum and throw the ball, and they ran out of bubble gum early in that Ohio State game. Um, and, I mean, that, <laughs> Steve Sarkeesian had a game plan, and it had very little to do with let's establish the run. No, you're exactly right. Look, I mean, this whole thing started, the, the, at least the Saban-Alabama dynasty started against us and Greg McElroy. I mean, he wanted a quarterback that was so safe that, that – that there were no positives in there at all, but there were no negatives in there. That's how he viewed the position. Julio Jones had one catch in that game. We've laughed about it. Greg McElroy goes for five or six completions and threw for 58 yards on the day. It was about Mark Ingram and Richardson. And he has, you know, they're still running. They still want to run the football with Najee. And I like that. The fact that Sark has that in him, you still want to be balanced, but I mean, think about how much he's changed since the dynasty started to what they're doing now. Yeah, it's very impressive. It is being like water, as we talked about in the last podcast. Yeah. Hey, the other thing I want to mention about that game, the most impressive thing to me, and there's a lot of impressive stuff that Sarkeesian did in the game plan, particularly with what he had on his plate in the preparation week, right? I mean, he, Sark didn't have a lot of free time. And no. he obviously put in a game plan, and – it was a great game plan, and it was really smart and really multiple. And what I loved is that he uses Devontae Smith, and I don't wish an injury on any player, and I think Devontae's going to be fine. I love that he got hurt because in the second half, we got to see that the entire game plan wasn't just predicated on the greatness of Devontae Smith. Yeah, that's a good he, point. He, he immediately adjusted – they made Mechie the number one receiver. They started throwing the ball to Najee Harris out of the backfield intensely. I mean, what I love about Sark is if you don't defend a screen correctly, guess what you get to see the next play? Oh, yeah. No, you're going to see it. He, he will go back to it. He's got nice hot routes set up. I thought the throwback, feeling that Browning was going to be blitzing again after making the play of the possession before, and just, mm-hmm. and just it, that, that was set up, and they, they, they were waiting for that, and you just flip it over to Najee Harris in the flats, and no one's there. Yeah, that's exactly right, and I just felt that, so, okay, Sarkeesian goes, great. You removed my best chess piece. You got rid of my queen. All right, I'm going to win with a bunch of pawns and rooks and bishops. Yep. I'm fine. I'm good. And they were fine. They, they did a bunch of ball control. Uh, let's run the ball. Let's play action. Let's be multiple. Let's hit Mitchie on these little stick routes. I mean, it was, it was impressive. And he didn't just have a one-page game plan, right, that was all predicated on the Devontae Smith show. And he got to demonstrate that. That, to me, at, at the deepest level of coaching, blew me away. That, because he had a good excuse to be like, oh, man, our whole game plan was predicated on Devontae. You saw that in the first half. You saw what we did to them. And then I got, you know, he got taken away from us. Yeah, that's why we bogged down. He, he was having none of that. He was having none of it. What he's done with Mac Jones, just understanding the talent they've had, and it's at a very high level, so I get that. But it is different. I mean, Tua and Mac Jones are different, and the little wrinkles that, he's, that he has done to build around the type of talent he has, that's what has me fired up the most. Can I ask you a question? No. Okay. Well, uh, damn, podcast is over. No, we're done. starting to warm up, we're, too. Yeah. <laughs> what do you got, man? How good do you think Mac Jones is as an NFL prospect? Not as good as he's being hyped right now. Um, yes. I, I, I don't know if he is in the 20 to or 15 to 25 range as a starter or if he's just a good backup. I. 
dude, we are simpatico. And we sound like a couple of bitter pricks. Yeah, by the we way, do. the guy threw for 464 yards. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he did a great job of managing the game and, and made some good throws. But if you look a little deeper, not all those throws were strikes. No. And a fair amount of them, the receiver made him look good on a few of it, those. And I, I think his overall package, I think his arm strength is adequate. I think he's got a good feel for the game. I think he's a tough guy. I think he's sort of got you know the winner attributes. But I think he's being hyped up as a guaranteed top 10 draft pick. And I'm not sure he's that guy. I think he could be an NFL starter. I think he's somewhere around or below Kirk Cousins as a starter. I think that's a good comp right there. And yeah, I, and look, so that, that, that can be a starter. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend too much on him. Yeah. I mean, I'm seeing with Mox, he's going anywhere from like third overall to second round. Um, so it'll be curious to Belichick and Saban are such boys. Maybe we'll find out what Saban really thinks about him as a pro prospect with new England picking at 15. If all the quarterbacks except for Jones are gone by that point. Well, and it's also interesting to see Tua not throwing to wide-open guys in Sark's offense. Yeah. And now, you don't want to judge a quarterback, especially a rookie who's coming off an injury on the basis of one year, right? I mean, you would throw out Steve Young, Troy Aikman, Peyton Manning, and a host of other great quarterbacks, right? But Tua, man, there, there was a marked difference between watching Tua and watching Joe Burrow and watching Justin Herbert. Yeah, no, there was, and and now there are reports coming out the receivers didn't really trust Tua as a quarterback. So um, I think it's still still up in the air for him. Hey, a couple of things that that Sark did that I really love. You know, there was a sequence there where you had a boundary back shoulder fade to Devontae Smith. Really good ball by Mac Jones there. He he uh, threw that thing well, but the way they designed it, and then the next play. You've got Smith, who's in the front of a stack formation and starts to block where he can right off the line of scrimmage and then releases to like a, a, a slant across the middle. Some of the little things he does, that gets back to the delay concepts that, that he would have grown up running or in college would have run at BYU. A lot of those tight end delays, running back delays, and this was a receiver delay. There were some sequences there that you really saw Sark's brilliance. And even on the flat concept stuff that they're doing with Smith, I love how some of the depth that he gets – uh, you know, and that may be Smith's brilliance and that may be coaching too, but I do think Sark understands different different steps and different depth that you really can create in the flat like that. He actually Smith actually went back a little bit and it created this space and it created a better angle, I'm sorry, a worse angle for the defender once he got got to Smith with the football. It gave Smith a little bit of room to utilize the freakish speed he has. I love it. I noticed the exact same thing, and I, I kept – that's kind of what I was watching. I, I was just like, man, Sark has a really good sense for space. Yeah. And, and, and where the holes are going to be. And you could see when Ohio State panicked a little bit, and very briefly they kind of went into cover three. And you could see Sark light up and be like, okay, we're going to RPO on every down now. Yeah. If you're going to – if you're going to go and cover three, we're RPOing every down. And I'm going to give Mac the read. And, and Mac Jones, to his credit, made good reads. But he's like, we're just going to keep throwing for 12 yards or handing it off for seven yards. And we're just going to count the box. So we can do this slow or we can do this fast, Ohio State. I guess we're going to do this slow for a while, right? And, and I loved it. And, and it's that quickness of adjustment. It's that sense of space. And I hate to always – look at the new guy versus the old guy because it's not always a useful way of evaluating what's going to happen. But Alabama, is it fair to say they have a lot of talent? Yeah, I, I, th I think that one's safe, buddy. Did they just roll the ball out and do their thing, run their stuff, or <laughs> did they game plan the crap out of the football game? No, they, they game plan the crap out of it, which is also why I, I try not to oversimplify whenever I take shots at Alabama and – the really talk about creative the the ways that that they're paying players and the way they set all this up once they got off of probation and and really when Saban took that job there's so many things they do right that, that go into that it's not just about doing that it's about evaluation it's about development and really it's about scheming that's why they're so good right now they, they have as good a coaching staff if not the best in the country or did 
I think you're I think you're right, and I think a lot of that has to do with the coach coaching the coaches and Nick Saban, right, and 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 allowing them to be themselves, but also giving them some good. You know, it's almost like when you bowl and you get to put up the guardrails. I think that's what Nick Saban provides to his coaching staff. Yeah. I, I, think, he, I think he lets them throw the ball hard and experiment and try stuff and, and see how they can get a strike. But I think he's those guardrails so that it never quite goes off and you always have a chance to pick up a spare. And, and I, that's kind of how I think of him. And that's one of the best bowling analogies ever made about Nick Saban. Man, it really is. The fact that you were able to, <laughs> to wedge that in, that's, a, that's impressive stuff right there. Um, uh, uh, I'm not even yeah, sure. I, I'm not even sure what I was going to say. I had something on that, but it just threw me off. Well, the, the genius of, of bringing bowling night and league night into Nick Saban and the Alabama program. I just, I know it blindsided you. You need to adjust for a second and let that fully sink in. But God. no, honestly, I, I, the, the takeaway, I, the, the long way around this is it made me so frustrated and mad at Herman and his regime at Texas, because there was this, I mean, you're not as talented as Alabama, Tom. And Alabama's not out there just rolling out the ball saying, we're going to run our stuff and out-tough people, right. right? Yeah. You know, people have this perception that football's just about toughness. And, yeah, toughness is a very important component of the game. But, you know, deception is, too. And, and catching people with their pants down. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to always make these analogies. you, you got to be careful with it. But, you know, I want soldiers to be tough. But I also want them to be really tactically smart. And yeah. if, like, if they can, if they can, I'd like them to ambush the enemy and not just charge them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. But that's up to their commanders. And so what you what you hope is you have really smart, creative commanders and some really tough, smart soldiers to carry it out. That's it. And you want to you want to coalesce the two. There's a there's no reason you can't do both. And I tell you what, Alabama's got a bunch of tough, smart, disciplined football players. And you know what? They run some really cool stuff. And yeah, maybe it doesn't get the the perception from the media and maybe it's not gimmicky. But, dude, I watched that game and I was just blown away by some of the stuff Sarkeesian was doing. Uh, And I got to say in praise and maybe if Golding ends up at Texas, I don't know a ton about him. I know his UTSA background. I know Alabama was a little disappointing in some games this year. Ole Miss tore their ass, quite frankly. But, man, they had a good game plan for Fields and Ohio State. Yeah, they did. No, you're right. They did, and and they carried it out. This is not your physically imposing Alabama defense, especially up front. But they did a good enough job. They obviously got the job done. Well, and and I thought they brought pressure – not to get sacks per se. Obviously, they would welcome the sack if they can get it. But I thought they did it to speed up Justin Fields. They did. And the, the more I see a sped up Justin Fields, despite what he did to Clemson, and despite all of his physical attributes, the more I start to think, I'm not sure he's that sure thing in the NFL. I'm not sure he's the number two guy. I'm not sure he's the number three guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I Look, I, I think it's pretty much up in the air. I think you're going to see some different – some conflicting grades or or kind of scouting reports on Justin Fields. Hey, getting back to one thing you said earlier about uh, being able to coach assistant coaches, you know the key to that, and we're going to find out with Sark, we find out with a lot of coaches, is do you really know what good coaching looks like for other positions? Mm-hmm. And we just don't know. I mean, that's where Sark being around a long time and and being a lot of different stops, there's probably a better shot that one he's going to have better contacts than than Tom Herman when he has to hire and know more people. But he's probably seen more things. You know, you know, not not every a lot of coaches don't know. You brought it up last week. What a good offensive line coach is. There's no doubt about that. But what a good receivers coach is. Hell, what a good running back coach is. What a good what what a good safeties coach is. Right. I'm pretty sure Sark knows what good looks like at a pretty technical level for receiver running back. And I know he, he damn well knows the quarterback position. Yeah. I don't know about offensive line and I don't know about defense. Now, if he, you don't necessarily need to know the deep nuts and bolts of the technical parts of defense, but if you can give a good broad overview and, and critique what's, wrong and what's being done incorrectly as, as someone like either you or I could do, right? Uh, and obviously Sark has more bones and more knowledge than we do by far. Um, I, I think that's what matters. And 
But I do know at the receiver position, running back and quarterback, that dude knows what he's doing. Yeah, and I've uh, got no doubt about that. And, and, and that's good. I mean, that's – and tell you what, if you had to pick one position where the, coach, the head coach is an expert, uh, I'll take quarterback if, and followed closely by, you know, offensive line. Yeah. No, you're right about that. Uh, all right, hey, let's, uh, let's give a little shout-out to David McClellan. He is one of our favorites, and you talk about getting good coaching. He can give you great coaching. Fiduciary Financial Advisor from Forum Financial. He's part of the EGAT family. He specializes in financial life coaching, also retirement planning. God, this has been such a weird year. It'd be a great time to go ahead and get that free consultation and take a look at where you're at. Part of that consultation, David's going to help you understand your financial freedom number. Also, some things maybe you could be doing differently to not only build your wealth, but also achieve that financial freedom faster. He's excellent at what he does with regulations. There's only so much we can say, but uh, he's been great for the EGAT family, and it's free. So give him a, give him a call or just uh, email him, 312-933-8823. 312-933-8823, multiple national champions, one here on the 40 acres as a swimmer. And uh, he's going to help you out with your money right now. It's D McClellan at forumfinfin.com. Well, Kevin, they say the honeymoon's over when the bride farts on wedding night. <laughs> Who's, who says that? I don't know. I think I, I think I took an expression and I put my own twist on it. Like the David bowling analogy. But nonetheless, I still haven't heard any gas pass, and it's all brakes, no gas. <laughs> we got to end with that. I think we got a title. We'll talk to you all next week. This has been fun. Don't forget to support us if you can. Rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff. Say goodbye, Paul. Adios.